Here are the highlights from the latest episode of Free Talk Live. Visit freetalklive.com for the full episode. In the studio tonight, it's Ian. Peakless Mountaineer. And Egregious Philbin. And... Peakless Mountaineer, you wanted to talk about the Chinese chip manufacturers. Uh, these are computer chip, silicon-based computer chips that uh, they're cranking out in China for various different purposes. You remember during the uh, the COVID lockdowns, there were serious slowdowns on parts coming from China. Mm-hmm. Automotive manufacturers were complaining because they were unable oh, to get... It's still a thing. Like, yeah. if you have a used car right now, it's probably worth more than it will ever be. Wow. Because they still are suffering from the chip shortage for the production of new cars. I mean, I I know two of my... I uh... I had to take my car to the shop recently this week. Mm -hmm. And when you walk in, they have a big old sandwich board. Please talk to us about selling us your used car. Top dollar paid. Money, 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 money. Yeah, I remember uh, when I was out in Denver, literally every single place was out of cars for rent. Yeah. Like you could not rent a car in that city Four weeks. Yeah. Uh, so this particular time, I took my car to the dealership because I wanted the dealership to do the work. And I'm like, hey, can I get a loaner? They're like, <laughs> whoa. And I'm like, why do you laugh? They're like, we, you would have to make your appointment for like three months out for Damn. us to give you a loaner. And I'm like, how come? They're like, well, we just don't have any cars to loan out. And I go, you have an entire dealership <laughs> full of cars. Why can't you loan me one of those? They're like, that's not the way it works. And I'm like, well, then you should change the way it works. Right. Right. Because, yeah. So. Wow. Well, I, I don't know how hard they've been trying, but a couple of people who live around here have been trying to sell their cars and have not sold them at all. So really? maybe they're priced too high or maybe there's mm. just not enough buyers right now for the used car market. I don't know. Maybe the prices are too high and people are are trying to cut back on spending. I don't know. Hard to tell. Hard well, to tell. I, I know that uh, if if someone can uh, push that out any further, that they absolutely will. So, like, if they need a car right now, mm-hmm. then they'll be willing to pay. But right. if they're like, well, you know, this one's got this and this wrong with it, I should really get a different one. Uh, right now, people are pushing those kind of purchases as far into the future as they can. I do have a workaround for people looking to rent a vehicle, though, if you're trying to go to, like, Hertz or Avis or, you mm-hmm. know, any of the big rental agencies and rent a car. Like, if you're traveling, renting a car, not a problem, particularly if you uh, package it with your flight and that kind of a thing in your okay. hotel. If you go through an agency, like, that's not a problem. You can rent a car. But if you're just, like, a townie and you're like, hey, uh, yeah, my car's in the shop. I need to rent a car for a week or something while my right. car is getting fixed. That's a little more difficult to do. The workaround, of course, U-Haul. Mm-hmm. Oh. That's right. Rent yourself a U-Haul for a couple of days. It's like 20 mm-hmm. bucks a day plus mileage or whatever. It's actually probably less expensive really? than going to like Hertz and Avis or at least on par with it. If you've ever driven for like Uber or Lyft or whatever, mm-hmm. usually they have requirements for like your car needs to be no older than X, uh, you know, okay. 10 years okay. or whatever. It has to be, you know, this many miles mm-hmm. or less and, you know, not rusty. And, you know, they have things that you need to right. sort of pay attention to. But if you got two cars... And, you know, they're, I don't know, a decade old or less. Why not? Makes sense. That's a cool idea. But, I mean, it just goes to show that, like, even even at the place where they rent cars, they are so out of cars that the guy is telling me, here, please go to a competing service. (laughs) Yeah. Like, a a service that competes with my industry. 
Which, wow. like, which, informing people, I, I assume I'm not the first person he's told, like, right. informing people of this service that exists to compete with his industry. Well, it's Basically better than advertising give, for Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. it's better that he give you something than nothing. Right. I mean, at least then you'll maybe think of him the next time, right? right. Like, oh, and, that guy was good. I want yeah. to say that that is excellent customer service. Right. That is. If I mean. your company is in the business of providing a thing and you can't. Right. You do the best thing you can. You do the best can. thing you can for your customer and go, hey, you know what? Bob over here, he's got some of this. Right. You know, sorry, we're out. You know, we'll see you next time, but Bob's got some for it. And then you'll remember that. You know, you know what? Mm-hmm. They looked out for mm-hmm. me this time and they said, they sent me to a, comp- a competing product. Right. They service. didn't have to do that. They could have yeah. just sent you away and right. empty handed. Yep. Yeah. Uh, excellent customer service on that. But I mean, it, it all really goes to show how scarce these chips are. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that this is just the beginning of, uh, I, I mean, I wouldn't go as far as some. Some have said that like, uh, chips are the new oil that like, uh, in the same way that like my entire life has definitely been, uh, preoccupied by who gets to control what oil fields. Oh, we found oil in the Middle East. So we have perpetual war over who gets to run them. Uh, some people have said that chips are the new oil, and I don't know if I'd go that far, but it's interesting to watch that, I mean, number one, there's obviously a huge shortage in it. Number two, mm-hmm. this shortage is affecting, uh, it's already affecting the car industry, and how much longer before it starts affecting every other kind of tech industry? I'm not a, uh, a finance guru or an attorney, but to me, silicon... And, uh, what's the other material I'm thinking of? Oh, lithium. Those, mm-hmm. those two things, right? If you got money to invest, that's where mm-hmm. I'm putting my money. Mm-hmm. You know, outside of crypto and, you know, gold and silver. Zach is on the line in Kentucky. Go ahead, Zach. Uh, yes. Uh, one of you all had mentioned using, uh, U-Haul vehicles as rental vehicles. Yeah. Uh, I actually did that two years ago. I had a vehicle break down on me on a Sunday, and I needed a vehicle to get to work on Monday. Mm-hmm. And I thought, man, Hertz and those other companies are they're so high. And then it dawned on me, hey, why not rent a U-Haul? And so I had my wife take me down to the local U-Haul mm-hmm. rental place on a Monday morning, and I was able to rent. It was a brand-new Chevrolet Silverado pickup with u-haul livery all the way around it mm-hmm. uh for like you said twenty dollars a day plus mileage and uh shoot it wasn't bad at all <laughs> and they don't care where you where they, you go with it right as long as you bring it back or you can even bring it back to another u-haul if you want to right that's right um i think that one in particular had to come back to that particular u-haul okay. but i think the uh box trucks i think they can go you know, right. pretty pretty well to any one of them but yeah twenty dollars a day for a truck just a regular pickup truck i mean what would you pay for a, a sedan down at uh, avis or one of those other places i mean it's probably similar pricing for mm-hmm. the mega low budget cars like the the tiny hatchback you know kind of thing yeah. the, the, you can't haul anything right. in that though i mean no, not at all trucks more useful oh, no. when i moved out to new hampshire i put my stuff in the u-haul version of the pods yep Right. Yep. And I will never do that again. Mm. That being said, they were the least expensive option for, for a reason for that. So <laughs> yeah, it, you know, you get what you pay for you is, is yeah. what I'm saying. But what was the issue with that? Uh, well, there were multiple issues, but, uh, uh, let's just suffice it to say when the pod showed up in New Hampshire, it was crooked, <laughs> <laughs> which makes it hard to open the door, get the <laughs> well, lock and, off, like, things it's like kinda, that. It's kind of clothy. So like mm. it wasn't, 
but like I I felt like the thing was gonna fall in on itself Clothy. at any moment. The one I had from Utah, yeah, so U-Haul was like wooden. It, it's wooden, yeah. but it's got like hmm. a I don't know what you call it a uh, some sort of a vinyl hmm. cloth thing around it that is oh, the wall. That you close it up. And so, hmm. yeah, and then when you close it up, there is a place for you to put a latch, but the rest of the door is literally this vinyl oh, okay, that stuff. wasn't my experience. So, at any rate, uh, I don't recommend the, the pods thing unless you're yeah. doing short distance. I did cross country with it. Yeah. It worked out. Don't get me wrong. I didn't, like, lose anything. Nothing was broken. Mm-hmm. It just looked like it had been through a war by the time <laughs> it showed up at my door. <laughs> so, but uh, U-Haul can save you money on things like towing. If you don't live anywhere near... Uh, your shop, wherever you take your car to get mm-hmm. it fixed, you can rent, a, like this guy did, a, a Silverado truck or a van with the towing yeah. hitch on the back, and then you can rent a uh, either a car carrier that's a flatbed that you can just drive a car up onto, right. or the two-wheeled one where you just drive the car onto the, the it's a really short-looking trailer, yep. and you just put your two wheels onto this thing and then strap them in. The back two wheels are still on the, the right. ground? Yeah, okay. generally speaking, and that's... I mean, if you're looking at, you know, three, four hundred dollars for a tow bill, you all might be the way to go if you've got a little bit of initiative. Good thinking. These are things need people need to know, especially when things are getting more expensive than ever. Mm, they certainly right? are. Buyer beware. Well, and especially when we're advocating actively that they move if they are a lover of liberty to yes. New Hampshire. Absolutely. If you're sane, that's what you'll want to do for if sure. If I had it to do over, I would select the actual pods company. The brand, for the, the brand name okay. for the thing that I did because those are like stable metal. I would I would have paid. It was more containers. money, and I was trying to be budget conscious, yeah, sure. and and Cut I was, cars. and it, and it worked out. But just yeah. if I had it to do over again, I'd, I'd pay, pay a little bit extra for the for the you know branded company. So, um, Peakless, you had a story tonight about chip manufacturing. Chip. Computer chip manufacturing. Oh, not the California no, Highway Patrol. No, <laughs> no punch, no John. Uh, <laughs> The, also, uh, also not uh, like deep fried potato no. slices or anything like that. Nacho cheese. <laughs> so tell me about it. What's going on? Well, uh, let's see. I've got this from the Guardian. Biden administration imposes sweeping tech restrictions on China. New rules include measure to exclude China from using semiconductor chips made anywhere in the world with U.S. tools. Rudy, go uh, ahead. The, the uh, it's, it's a Dutch company that makes the. Uh, it's ASML. Yeah. Uh, they're a company that makes these $200 million machines that make the chips that uh, that grow the silicone, I think. I don't know. Uh, but it's – anyway, uh, and they're the only ones in the world that does it. Uh, but this week, Biden literally shut down the entire Chinese computer chip business because he, he gave an ultimatum to – Every American that's working in China at these plants in China, he basically threatened them with their citizenship. Wow. You, can, you can stay there and work in China, or you can come back and be an American. And everybody said, we quit. They left. Just put the skids on every company. Every Yeah. Think about that. This seems really crazy to be going after these Chinese chip manufacturers. Mm-hmm. I mean, because there's a lot of products that are using the, these chips. What is the plan to get chips made well, if they're not going with the Chinese manufacturers? I mean, that maybe there's another manufacturer in some other country. But well, apparently, the plan is to go to go with American chip manufacturing. Is there China such a thing? Make any, China doesn't make any high performance chips. That's Taiwan. No, China makes 
a lot of chips, mm-hmm. but, you know, toasters and whatever. Uh, this company but, that the, uh, the caller mentions, ASML, uh, yeah. they don't actually manufacture the chips. They manufacture the, machines. the, the photolithography it, systems that are used to produce the chips. Right. Have you seen that machine? I have not, but I'm just reading up it, on it now. They It is awesome. <laughs> it is really They stuck. do enjoy a monopoly position by being the only supplier of the cutting-edge lithography systems. So to answer your question, they're the only game in town. Well, right, but they're hmm. selling these chip manufacturing machines to companies that then manufacture chips with them. Right. Mm-hmm. So they're not, they're the only game for the machines that make chips, but what they're saying is those machines, if they're located in China, are essentially being shut off by the Biden administration economically. Oh, no. Just, just, just the, uh, the brain power. Well, well hold on, uh, Peekless. What's the story that you have about these, these chips? Because didn't you say Biden was putting in restrictions I, I guess I don't recall what all the uh, the details were on it. What are the what's the news here that we're trying to share tonight? Yeah, he's putting in uh, uh, restrictions on uh, any company sell any American company at least selling uh, any of the equipment that's used to manufacture chips to a Chinese company. But this isn't an American company. This is a, a, a Dutch company located in the yeah. Netherlands. So. I'm not sure if that's going to affect. So that's uh, that's actually one of the the big questions that's about that that we're going to watch play out is are the American allies going to back this play or not? This is from TechStream Brookings.edu where they show an image of this machine and it's incredibly complex. Uh, and just reading the description is pretty impressive. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna just share this with you here. An extreme ultraviolet lithography machine is a technological marvel. A generator ejects 50,000 tiny droplets of molten tin per second. A high-powered laser blasts each droplet twice. The first shapes the tiny tin. The second, or so the second, can vaporize it into plasma. The plasma emits extreme ultraviolet, UV, radiation that is focused into a beam and bounced through a series of mirrors. The mirrors are so smooth that if expanded to the size of Germany, they would not have a bump higher than a millimeter. That's how smooth these mirrors are. That's pretty freaking smooth. Finally, the EUV beam hits a silicon wafer, itself a marvel of material science, with a precision equivalent to shooting an arrow from Earth to hit an apple placed on the moon. This allows the EUV machine to draw transistors into the wafer with features measuring only 5 nanometers. That is approximately the length that your fingernail grows in 5 seconds. This wafer with billions or trillions of transistors is eventually made into computer chips. The EUV machine is made of more than 100,000 parts and costs approximately $120 million and is shipped, if you're allowed to buy it, apparently some people aren't, in China, is shipped in 40 freight containers. 40 freight containers. I mean, I've seen one of those things. They're huge. It's like Iron Maiden on tour. (laughs) There are only several dozen of these machines on Earth, and approximately two years' worth of back orders exist for more of them. It might seem unintuitive that the demand for a $120 million tool find, uh, far outstrips supply, but only one company can make them. It's the Dutch company, ASML, that Rudy was just referring to. The, so uh, I've, uh, I've got a, just a quick addition from uh, Reuters here. 
Uh, it's, uh, it's from back in January, but I think it's still probably effective. Uh, under pressure from the U.S. government, the Dutch government uh, has withheld granting a license for ASML to export uh, these machines, which are considered uh, dual-use goods with possible military applications. Mm. Yeah, I've, something similar from Bloomberg is uh, ASML has never sold its extreme ultraviolet lithography machines or EUVs to Chinese clients. The Biden administration, as part of its attempt to keep China from developing the capability to make advanced semiconductors, has been trying to push the Dutch government to withhold ASML's older machines, called Immersion Deep Ultraviolet Lithography Machines, or DUVs, that can be used in combination with other technology. The European Commission, as well as the Dutch and German governments, have undertaken a coordinated lobbying campaign to oppose restrictions on a critical European company while U.S. competitors continue to do business with Chinese companies. Jacob, watching us on our Twitch feed. Ooh. Go ahead, Jacob. What's on your mind? Calling from Alabama. Hey, what's going on, guys? Hey, what's on your mind? Uh, basically, uh, recently, Alabama has come under a lot of fire because a, uh, a lady in Coleman, Alabama, recently posted on TikTok that she was teaching her children, she's a teacher, uh, just very racist and bigoted things. And then it came under a lot of other fire that actually this town of Alabama is, uh, quote, unquote, a sundown town, which is a very old saying. It basically means uh, if you are not of the white pigment of skin and you are in this town under sundark, you basically a lot of bad things will happen to you. Oh. And the Supreme Court has gotten this notion and has heard this. And they're basically, you know, obviously they're under a lot of fire and they're not really sure what to do about this. So I guess I just wanted to get you guys' input on what you think would be the best decision to do. Who's not sure what to do about this? I'm not really clear who the they so was. Basically, the the options, because uh, the, back, the back story of this is my mother works for the Supreme Court. And basically what she said was what they're thinking about doing. Was just to clarify, before you go on, you're talking about the Alabama Supreme Court? Yeah, okay. yeah, Alabama Supreme Court. So obviously the teacher was obviously fired. You know, she doesn't obviously doesn't work anymore. But the issue is, you know, Alabama is a very, uh, you know, we were very supportive of, you know, the civil rights movement and whatnot. But we don't know what to do with these people in this town because the mass majority of these people are all racist and bigoted. And they're not, you know, obviously they're not going to change their mindsets. They're going to keep doing this. So we're not really sure as the Supreme Court and as a society of Alabama, what to do about this part of town. Well, what is the case exactly? Because the Supreme Court can't act unless there's a case that's been brought. So is there a case in front of them? Yeah. So basically, uh, about a month or two ago, there was a lot of calls from people who live in uh, Coleman who were saying that a lot of people were doing a lot of classic things of, you know, burning crosses on people's yards. And, you know, just just all the the nonsensical things that people do. Mm -hmm. And... You know, there's been a lot of murder that's been happening in that town. And obviously, you know, it's just black men and black women being murdered. And the Supreme Court is basically just they're not sure what what my mother was saying was that they were thinking about, in a way, kind of exiling this town and maybe moving these people to another part of the United States or just getting them out of Alabama. Because, I mean, we're very civil rights. You know, we we really appreciate, you know, what everybody has done in this town. We really want this movement to keep going. But it it sucks because these people are really ruining it for all of us. Yeah, so again, I'm not real clear on what exactly the case is in front of the Supreme Court where they could do anything. I mean, because if if there's no case, did I miss it? Did you say it? And I just yeah, I, just I, I didn't it? catch that either. Basically, uh, the mass majority of the case is just that people have been just reporting a lot of 
racially insensitive murder and a lot of just racially insensitive actions that have been going on in this town. Just taking him at his word that Coleman is just, let's just say it's the majority of the town are unabashed racists. If those people are the, if they're the super majority of the town, then they're going to be running the protection agencies even if there aren't monopolies. You know, mm-hmm. maybe there will be one competitor, but if, if 90% of the protection agencies in town are run by racists, you're still going to have a tough time as, uh, as a black guy. Right. So like there's a certain kind of place I wouldn't want to be and I wouldn't want to be in that town as any color uh, person. I, I just wouldn't right. want to live in a place where there's a bunch of racists uh, running around. That sounds like a really unpleasant place to be. And let's right. take it out of the racism uh, card and go to something that definitely does exist uh, where I'm from in Florida. There's a town a few couple a couple counties to the north. It's up in uh, the Tampa Bay area. It's called Clearwater. And this is the home of the Scientology Church. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? There's a lot of Scientologists that live in Clearwater. Mm-hmm. There's so many Scientologists that live in Clearwater, they run the city council. Right. right? So like, they are kind of in charge, at least last I heard. It's been a while. We used to actually be on a station in Tampa um, more than a decade ago, and, and that signal was loud and clear in, in Clearwater. So there was one night we were talking about the Scientologists on the air covering whatever the story was, whatever crazy, kooky, you know, story it was at the time. And we were deluged with, uh, Scientologists that were calling in because they were hearing what we were talking about on the radio there in Clearwater. And they're literally everywhere. You know, they're driving around, listening yeah. to the radio. They're, they're on, on foot. They're, they're everywhere in this town. And so, like, if you don't want to live around a bunch of litigious Scientologists, because those guys will sue you, they'll sue the pants off your uh, off your ass if you say things that they don't like, and you don't want to live next to those people, you know? So, don't live in Clearwater. There's a story at TuscaloosaNews.com, but you have to go back to 2006 for this story. Uh, talk about how it is uh, one that forbade blacks, through ordinance or otherwise, to live in it. The name comes from the fact that many of these places posted signs, like the one on the cover of uh, a book written by James W. Lowen. His book is Sundown Towns, uh, that read, quote, whites only within city limits after dark, unquote. Although the existence of such communities is common knowledge, Lowen writes, almost no literature exists on the topic. Even book-length histories of the sundown towns omit their exclusionary policies. Lowen, a historian and sociologist who spent years studying the phenomenon, opens some of these long-locked closets. Among his findings is that most sundown towns existed outside of the Deep South. In Mississippi, for instance, there were no more than six such communities, while in Illinois, he found no fewer than 456. (laughs) Wow. Uh, Midwest. What's going on? Sometimes entire counties went sundown, particularly when their county seats adopted the exclusionary policy. They simply drove out their black populations, then posted warning signs. The author says, I can't vouch for the accuracy of everything in the book. By its nature, much of Lowen's evidence is anecdotal. Though census records frequently support it, there are virtually no photographs of the notorious sundown signs. Even racist lynchings seem to have been better documented by the camera. But the tales endure. The book reminded me of a story I've heard all my life, one that's probably familiar to most Alabamians my age or older. Cullman was a sundown town. It displayed a sign that said, N, don't let the sun go down on your head. Some versions use a different body part in this town. Wait, wait, wait. I'm sorry. I have to stop. The 
name for somebody from Alabama is Alabamian? That's apparently the case, yeah. Shouldn't you feel upset because they put Ian at the end of that thing? <laughs> <laughs> Ian's at the end of a lot of things. Uh, all right, I would I would have thought it would be Alabama. Well, Alabama. But they also Al- put Alabama. Ah, Labam. Ah, Labam. <laughs> nice. All right. Anyway, uh, go on. Or the story went, I never actually saw such a sign, though I lived for years in northern Alabama, he says. Even some of the former Coleman residents who told me they'd grown up hearing about the sundown sign confessed they'd never actually seen it. I mean, they lived in the town. Mm. The Internet is full of stories to the contrary, of course. One person wrote that his wife told him about a sign saying, Welcome to Coleman, with a subhead that read, N, don't let the sun set behind your back, unquote. So it definitely sounds like one of those <laughs> urban legends. Uh, Lowen's book, even the book which identifies Coleman as one of the cities with a national reputation as a sundown town, mm-hmm. its percentage of black residents in the year 2000 was 0.7, according to the U.S. Census, doesn't even mention a sign. Arab, a town on Sand Mountain in North Alabama. Yeah, this is supposedly, on Sand Mountain. supposedly the, right, yeah, supposedly the <laughs> second most racist town behind Coleman, supposedly. Apparently, according to Lowen, the author of the book, went Coleman one better, they wouldn't even allow blacks to enter during the day. Coleman, however, needed black day workers. According to Lowen, that resulted in the establishment of a community of about 20 miles south of Coleman that was virtually all African American. It existed, he writes, to house the black labor pool that was excluded from living in Coleman, maids, janitors, and handymen. Wait, is this the colony? You're right. Blacks yeah. and whites alike called it the colony. Does it still exist? I, I don't know, but it. Uh, when I was reading about it uh, in the last segment, or in the commercial for the last segment, uh, it sounded to me like they had created a reservation wow. <laughs> for the black people like mm. because they needed them as day workers, but they didn't want them in their town. So they said, okay, we're going to create this little space over here, and we're going to call it the colony. the colony. And apparently later on, they just shortened it to colony. Yeah, in 1980, according to the story here, it incorporated as colony. Oh, it incorporated. So, wow. It's a real town. Uh, The uh, residents commuted to Coleman via carpool, taking care to leave town before sunset. It had its own elementary school, but before federal law forced the desegregation of the Coleman County schools in the 70s, its children had to attend high school in another county. According to a recent newspaper report, Johnson told a meeting of officials from seven communities in the county this January the horror stories about Coleman's racism that she's heard as a youngster in other parts of the state. Dealing with the lingering negative image continues to be a problem. And indeed, to this day, we just had a, a phone call. That's why we're even talking about yeah, right. this. Somebody somebody brought this up. So, I mean, it's not and, unbelievable. And, right? and whether or not uh, in a generation or two these signs have existed or been seen, it still brings up the question of like, okay, libertarian, what what do you want to do about these horrible, horrible people? Which is you why know? I think that guy like, called in. If right, you're yeah. not, if you are not willing to use force against these people for having uh, views that you think are abominable, then what do you do with these horrible people? And it's live a fair and let question. live is what a libertarian would do. Yeah, I mean, I don't have to deal with them. Have I don't a, have to buy their stuff. Exactly. I don't have to go there. Exactly. Now, I'm not suggesting that we reward them for being awful people. No. I'm absolutely the suggesting contrary. that we exile them from our own civilization and do not trade with these people. Right. Let them starve. Because here's the facts. The facts are human beings need each other to live. I remember 20-something years ago, a particular urban legend going around in southwest Florida where I was living 
that said that the local sheriff's department had put a billboard up that said, if you think it's bad now, wait until some month. I remember October, and apparently I'm not the only one who uh, who remembered this, because Snopes.com has a whole story about this particular rumor that was going around in approximately 2002, somewhere okay. in that range. And it's just kind of like one of those interesting urban legends. So, What was it the sign supposedly said? Quote, if you think it's bad now, wait till October. Uh, so what does that mean? Meaning, well, it was supposedly We're really going to crack it, crack down on you then. Supposedly, the the wording that I heard about was if you think it's dry now, not that if you think it's bad. So the, that's a slang term that uh, marijuana users would use to describe the status of the market oh. after, uh, like a big bust would go down. Okay, well, it dries up the it's weed, weed in, in town. Yeah, it's weed okay. related. So uh, the claim is that the DEA was erecting billboards announcing an upcoming crackdown on the drug supply. Apparently, there doesn't seem to be a lot of marijuana available right now, something important to a select few. Now, people are talking about signs popping up along U.S. highways, supposedly put up by the DEA, that read something along the lines of, if you think it's bad now, wait till October, and presumably there was like a marijuana leaf on it or some sort of thing to indicate what they were referring to, implying the DEA have found some way to choke off a huge percentage of marijuana traffic and they're rubbing it in drug users' faces. In September of 2002, those who frequented areas of the Internet devoted to pleasures of marijuana found themselves confronted with a persistent rumor involving billboards supposedly placed along roadsides by the DEA. Although the location changed from telling to telling, the gist of the rumor remained the same. The message proclaimed by those charged with drug enforcement trumpeted, if you think it's dry now, wait till October. Folks would claim that they knew so, or that they... Folks would claim someone they knew had seen the sign or even that they themselves had seen it. And that's how it always came to me mm-hmm. was that it was somebody said they knew somebody yeah. who had seen it. Uh, though the call Never for... anyone that you could ask, where? Right. Because I want a picture of this thing. My cousin Bill said that he saw it right. the other night. Right. Though the call for photographs of the infamous billboard went out, it invariably went unanswered. Did you or someone you love work, live, or serve at Camp Lejeune between 1953 and 1988? If you or someone you know lived, served, or worked at Camp Lejeune between 1953 and 1988 and has cancer, Parkinson's disease, or another serious health issue, they are entitled to compensation. To see if they are eligible, they need to call Liberty Legal. Contaminants in the drinking water have led to these serious diseases and legislation is now available for for veterans and family members who may qualify for financial help from the government. There may be a time deadline, so don't wait. Call 888-918-1037. Anyone that has lived, worked, or served at Camp Lejeune from 1953 to 1988 and has had cancer, Parkinson's disease, or another serious health issue, the money is already set aside. 888-918-1037. 888-918-1037. As it turns out, according to Snopes.com, the people that were passing this story around in 2002 didn't know that it was already being passed around a decade before. From a post on an Internet news group in 1991. Now, not a whole lot of people had the Internet in 1991, but news groups were a thing on the Internet back then. Not so much these days, but back then it was back. This was before there was a worldwide web of graphics, right? right? Like there was a web, but it was all text. Uh, and so Internet news groups were a way to pass messages around. 
And somebody wrote, quote, that reminds me, a friend of mine was in L.A. two months ago. He said he saw stenciled spray paint signs on some inner city streets that read, quote, if you think it's bad now, wait until September, hyphen D.E.A. So this thing's been going around for some time. Mm. Now, I suspect it's kind of dried up in recent years, <laughs> considering how many people have access to cell phones and could easily, you know, disprove this particular rumor today as opposed sure, to yeah. 2002. Uh, the DEA billboard did surface uh, over the years since then, sometimes altered a bit. Uh, this is from the... I don't know if it doesn't cite its source. This past week, the Melbourne Cocoa Beach DEA stumbled onto a large quantity of marijuana and the stumbled... Bums made a bust. They broke their arms, patting themselves on the back, posting signs all over town with a marijuana leaf with a red circle and line through it. And underneath it, it said, if you think it's dry now, just wait till the DEA finishes their job. This one was cited in 1998. And so, again, similar rumors, just with slightly different uh, changes why this tale appears at anyone's time, at various times is anyone's guess, but it's possible the 2002 outbreak was at least part attributable to the dry, hot summer that burned off all manner of crops across North America. Not just wacky tobacco, locally grown marijuana would have been harder to come by during those stultifying summer months, which would make rumors about law enforcement-induced shortages all that much more believable. And, of course, they always said that the harvest for cannabis was in the fall season down towards... Christmas time, they would they would call it like Christmas bud or yeah. whatever, and then the, like the best marijuana would come out around Christmas time. So that might have been what they were working towards. I but remember it, Christmas bud, but it does, yeah, exactly. I do too. <laughs> uh, but it does make you wonder about this. I mean, did the DEA actually start this rumor? And if it wasn't the DEA, who did? Where does this stuff come from? I wish uh, our other sometimes co-host Matt was here for this one, but uh, the Dog Man. What's that? This is the sort of Midwestern Sasquatch, mm-hmm. but it's, oh. a, it's a werewolf kind of thing. Ooh, uh, and spooky. Being from Wisconsin, you know, it's, uh, it's you've got heard a home. This? You've it's heard got, this one? It's got a home in Wisconsin, well, no. Michigan, and uh, there's another state, too, that's involved with the Dogman legend. But instead of being a Sasquatch, it's more of a werewolf. It's mm-hmm. like sort of a dogman. Now, yeah. now, is this someone that, like, it's a person and then they turn into the dogman? Or is it something that's always a dogman like a Sasquatch? That's a good question. Because, I mean, like, there's there that's the difference really between, like, your, your wolf man Right, are we talking about Teen Sasquatch? Wolf here or are we talking about something that's always that? Well, so it's also known as the Beast of Bray Road, because that's apparently where most of the sightings have been on this mm. road called Bray, B-R-A-Y. Uh, a hairy humanoid with canine features, the Beast of Bray Road has been sighted in Wisconsin dating back to 1936 on a rural road outside of Elkhorn, Wisconsin. Most recent sightings in the 1980s and 90s placed the creature in Racine, Walworth, and Jefferson counties. Those who have seen the beast describe him as eating or hunting and scavenging. Also known as man-wolf, bear-wolf, and indigenous dog-man, it's said to be around six feet tall with gray and brown fur. Its face resembles that of a wolf with shiny yellow eyes and pointed ears. Its body, though furry, looks like a muscular man. The creature is said to run and walk on all four legs or just its hind legs and has been spied sitting on its hunches and kneeling like a man. Some people believe it's a werewolf. Others believe that it's a Bigfoot, and some believe that it's a yet unidentified species. Though it has never attacked anyone, some witnesses claim that it has acted aggressively, running at them and jumping on their vehicles. Some researchers consider the Beast of Bray Road to be identical to a kind of Wisconsin Bigfoot that locals call the Bluff Monster, or Eddie, 
Others, including many Native Americans, believe it to be the Wendigo, which has often been spied in Minnesota. Others believe that it has simply been misidentified and is a wolf, a bear, or a large feral dog. Uh, the, well, when did when did you hear about this? Like as so, a kid, was it one of those things um, that kind of passed around? It, so I vaguely recall mentions of the dog man by like some of my family members, probably when they were like you know hunting time and like okay, well let's bring the kid, you know, kind of a thing. And I got drug along, and I just vaguely remember hearing mentions of the dog man. It's like, and I didn't pay any attention to it because I'm like, oh, these guys are talking about you know crazy adult stuff, you know. And then uh, there was a band called Kings X. Out of the late 80s and early 90s, uh, and uh, they had a couple of singles on MTV and that kind of thing. And then they released an album called Dogman. And a friend of mine uh, from Wisconsin, uh, he was like, dude, can you believe King's X made a, a album called Dogman? And I'm like, why is I, – I tell me why this is significant. He says, because of the legend of Dogman, dude. We go to Major Payne on the line in Michigan. Go ahead, Major. I don't know if you guys have heard about this. I think my, I might save this one for Beard Talk. There was a couple of uh, wrestlers from college that was out elk hunting, I believe, in Wyoming, and they just had to deal hand-to-hand with a grizzly bear. Mm. Yeah. Yikes. Uh, so that, anyway. Isn't, so that, we'll, isn't that hand-to-paw? <laughs> no, okay. Claw to tooth. Okay. Anyway, so... Um, I have had dealings with Squatch. Really? Never face-to-face, but uh, I've, I've logged knock. I've heard them howling. I've answered them back. And they have a particular canner. And one time I answered one back three times on his particular canner, and he responded to me all three. And then I Well, how do you know it was Bigfoot? There is... is how do you know it wasn't like your drunk buddy? made by man. <laughs> I'm sorry. What were you saying there, Major? I didn't hear your answer. There's a sound that cannot be made by man. I mean, mm. you'll have howling assholes around the campfire, but yeah. they're all making different pitches and wails and whatnot, right? This is this is guttural and deep. But anyway, that's not what I called you for. You guys wanted to hear spooky stuff. Well, I just so wanted to hear urban legends. It doesn't have <laughs> urban legends don't have to be spooky right. necessarily. They just have to be unprovable. This one, I think I have actually figured out. There is a very large swamp south of the town I grew up on, uh, bordered by Rossonville Road and Belleville Lake and whatnot. And uh, I don't know if you guys remember this, but I called him one time and I told my story about when I was walking along the edge of a lazy creek or a river or something, mm-hmm. and there was bubbles coming up out of the dirt in, in you know under the water. Mm-hmm. And it's what are these bubbles? And I told him these turtle parts. Well, it's methane and gas, mm-hmm. right? So it's rising up in this giant swamp bog. And the theory I have is when the fog settles and the gas rises, it creates these pockets. And then on a full moon night, you will have the reflection of the moon coming up through these glass bub or gas bubbles. They created floating, glowing monsters. Mm. People went out there for 50 years looking at the the, the, the ghosts in the swamp. Huh. I, I, nice think I, finally figured it out. I think I finally figured it out. Let's get back, though, into the Chinese restriction story. You've got Chinese manufacturers that have certain chip-making uh, machines. Mm-hmm. 
but they don't have the newest technology apparently. And yeah, they and, would... uh, and apparently one of the the big issues with this is that the advanced uh, chip making technology is necessary for smartphones. So, okay. uh, you know, we get, we get a lot of stories out, uh, out of, uh, how China is making all the, all the smartphones and apparently not anymore, uh, if huh. this continues. And, uh, it, it's, uh, it's made some waves. Uh, it, uh, it, uh, made a response of, uh, a, a woman by the name of Mao Ning is the foreign ministry spokesperson of, uh, of China. And, uh, she says it, uh, let's see, out, out of the need to maintain its sci-tech hegemony, the U.S. abuses export control measures to maliciously block and suppress Chinese companies. Hmm. Now, I just wanted to that say... That sounds exactly like what's happening. Yeah. I mean, she's not wrong. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and, and so what strikes me about this is, like, number one, why are you poking the bear here? Like, you are already on the verge of nuclear annihilation with your uh, proxy war with Russia. Mm -hmm. That wasn't enough. No, we also need to provoke another world power with nuclear weapons. Let's let's go ahead and make sure that we're having an economic war with China. Yeah, people aren't paying enough money for energy yet, so let's go ahead and make things worse by bringing China into a conflict. Right? And and that's one of the things where, like, if we get energy to work, which is really just a matter of getting government out of the way, because, mm-hmm. like, I mean, with thorium reactors, we could have most of our energy ne- needs met very easily. And decentralized. Yes, mm-hmm. and yeah. decentralized. But that, of course, would be safe. Yes. Yeah. Decentralized, yeah. safe, uh, functional, cheap. Right. That, of course, would not put all of the money and power into the hands of the oil companies mm. and all of their subsidiaries. Cause, and know, their politicians who are in their pockets. Yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, we tend not to think about the connection between the two, but uh, pharmaceutical companies are really an extension of the oil companies. Now, why is that? Now, this is because uh, pharmaceuticals are, by and large, petrochemicals. So once OPEC starts trading even to China In for renminbi, yeah, okay. for the Chinese yuan, it, once it starts trading to China, okay, well, I mean, it's going to be hard to tell other countries that it won't trade to them in Chinese yuan. Mm-hmm. And then all these other countries are going to go, oh, well, now that there's two currencies for oil, I better split the difference. And I've got all of this debt in U.S. dollars. I better cash in all this debt. And accumulate some debt in uh, Chinese yuan mm-hmm. or uh, Russian rubles or whatever it is that they accept. So the other thing backing the U.S. dollar and something that the United States government has been riding since uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki is the the full faith and force of the United States military. Which the is, hundreds of bases and they've been riding this wave of fear because the United States has been the only country to mm-hmm. drop a nuclear bomb on, you know, a couple of places. Right. And so everybody's afraid of that. And so the United States has been able to sort of ride that wave until now and they're still riding it. Which is also an extension largely of the U.S. or of, of, of the uh, oil companies. Because the thing is that all of, uh, and this has been like a major historical event, was when the world's uh, defense capabilities were moved from, coil ba- uh, from coal-based to oil-based. Mm-hmm. So like all of the ships that were used for war moved from coal-based to oil-based. And okay, well, now we've got to have a world war because, mm-hmm. oh, that means that everything's focused on oil and well, gee, 
uh, Germany doesn't have its own colonies, doesn't have this access to oil, but what it does have is uh, is the ability to uh, engineer railways down to the Middle East. So they were going to complete that railway, and then we had to start World War One to make sure that didn't happen. Mm. But yeah, I mean, uh, so like oil is is the is not only the fuel for the vast majority of uh, of military technology. Mm-hmm. It's also you you have to think about the tremendous amount of gun oil that they have to go through when they're you know firing these things constantly. When there is thousands and thousands and thousands of all sorts of different uh, machinery that you need to continue the shell that's going on all of the time. Mm-hmm. So this consumes a tremendous amount of oil. I think a big part of uh, why people act the way they do on the internet is because they don't see anyone's face when they read their comments. Sure. Like, yeah. honestly, if you had to be subjected to the emotional response that people had to what you said, yeah. it would change your behavior immediately. Well, there's some people who say that when you die, you do have to experience that. <laughs> that when uh, that you have, essentially, you have a life review but you experience your life through the other, through the person that mm. you were interacting with. So anybody that you made happy or that, that felt happy about something that you said to them, you feel that. Mm. Anybody that felt upset or depressed or angry or whatever, you they feel. just plain didn't like you. You feel that. There's been interesting, you know, people have, similar uh, stories have come from different parts of the world that have told of these these life reviews. People that have mm. near-death experiences uh, have uh, been subjected to Some them. There's a movie about that, too. It's like out of the mid-80s or mm. something where, like, this guy dies and, you know, he goes to this sort of purgatory, you know, mm. sort of area and, like, has to be, has to go through this like life review yeah. with some other people before they decide whether he's going to heaven or hell. It's interesting. We'll see. Uh, so the number is 603-283-6160. You can bring up absolutely anything. We've been talking about the, uh, the Chinese chip situation. Uh, if you want to weigh in on that, you're welcome to do, do so. I mean, look, China, uh, China manufacturers could obviously come up with their own technology if they want to, but it's not easy, right? Like well, there's, there's a reason why there's only one company in the world that can make chip making machines. Right. It's hard. Mm-hmm. I was going to mention this too. Like oftentimes they say necessity is the mother of invention. Of invention. That's so true. That's true. if you're going to, if the United States is going to attempt to limit you know, somebody else's capability in manufacturing by, right. you know, sanctioning parts and that kind of thing or limiting who you can buy from that kind of thing. I mean, all that's going to happen is somebody's going to innovate their way around it. They may very well. Right. Now it might take, it may take some time, you right. know, might, you know, might have to be some new technology involved, something like that. But like, that's what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that this is uh, an uh, an effective preparation for the world that is to come because one way or the other, we are moving into the era of digital money. So either having more chips will mean that you can uh, mine more cryptocurrency or having more chips will mean that you will have a better chance to hack the central bank of the opposing force. Mm. So either way, this is uh, this is what's going to determine who has what money. So there's that. Uh, there's also the fact that every single new technology that we're coming out with, more or less, is based on uh, on digital processing. Yep, microprocessors mm-hmm. are necessary mm-hmm. for that. If technology becomes a central bank digital currency system like they're pushing for, yeah. then it's going and to be... And they will because it's total control on the part of the government. They, they will try. Mm-hmm. They will definitely... Like, 
like I said, it will go one of two ways. We are headed to an era of digital currency. Yep. Now, it can either be a central bank digital currency, and in that case, okay, well, now we have competing countries that are trying to out-hack each other. Mm-hmm. They're trying to screw each other's uh, uh, economic system up. So if I can ruin your gross domestic product by just screwing up your bank system, that's the easiest way to do it. And if you don't have the chips to uh, to out-hack me, then I have a huge advantage. Now, if on the other hand, as I believe it will, we head to a cryptocurrency-based digital uh, um, economic system, which uh, seems to be the way that we're headed, in that circumstance, then it's just the straight-up ability to do mining, the proof-of-work system, that uh, you have an advantage because you have all the chips. Mm -hmm. That means you can mine more cryptocurrency, which means you have more money than your opponent. And in this case, the cryptocurrency world that you're talking about, the you is the individual and or private businesses that might have invested in mining equipment, not Mm -hmm. so much governments. We don't see governments, at least not publicly, you know, gathering mining equipment and launching massive mining farms for Mm -hmm. Bitcoin. They could. But they might be doing it now. They're certainly yeah. not doing publicly. Right. Um, and, and the thing is, governments are in a position where they cannot in any way endorse cryptocurrency unless they're already like being destroyed by the economic system like El Salvador. Right. Whereas right. Uh, a country like China or Russia, the U.S., like they use the, their ability to print money to control their population. So right. if they come out in favor or even saying that it's valuable, then they're undercutting the- There's some news out of the Russian Russia-Ukraine conflict, where we've been covering in recent weeks, there was uh, some referendums that were held in the eastern portion of Ukraine by the Donbass, and then two areas south of What's that. What's a referendum? It's a vote. Okay. Uh, where people, uh, you know, some people went and they voted to join Russia, to essentially secede from Ukraine and join Russia. And that vote went through with flying colors in those areas. Of course, many are saying the vote was a sham. People in Ukraine, for instance, the Ukrainian government is not recognizing the vote. Uh, but the Russian government is. You know, they're saying, look, this is now ours. We're going to move in here. We're moving in our courts. We're moving in our bureaucrats. We're moving in our military. This is, this is now Russia. Wow. And people uh, are going to die, aren't they? Yes. Well, now to, to Russia's credit. More. To Russia's credit, they are telling the residents of Kherson, which is one of the areas that voted to leave uh, Ukraine and join Russia, to leave. They're telling the people that live there to leave the city. And that's because they are expecting Ukrainian troops to wage a counteroffensive to recapture the area from the Russians. And they want to get the average people away from the conflict that they are expecting to have happen here uh, so they're giving people a heads up in a post on this, is according to the AP, in a post on Telegram, the pro Kremlin regional administration strongly urged civilians to use boat crossings over a major river to move deeper into Russian held territory, citing a tense situation on the front and the threat of shelling and alleged plans for terror attacks by Kiev, which has been going on in the Donbass region for some time. And now that Kherson is joining Russia. They're expecting the same sort of violence to be brought against the the people of Kherson by the Ukrainian government. Uh, They've been in Russian hands since the early days of the nearly eight-month-long war. And the city is is the capital of a region of the same name, one of four that Russian President Vladimir Putin illegally annexed last month. Well, that's according to the Western 
governments. According to Putin, it's all entirely legal because they held a vote. And uh, what else? On Friday, Ukrainian forces bombarded Russian positions across the province, targeting pro-Kremlin forces resupply routes across the Dnieper River and preparing for a final push to reclaim the city. Of course, what we- would a legal annexing look like? Because, I mean, I, I have only ever heard the term used like this empire has decided that this chunk of whatever is, is now theirs. Yeah. What would a legal version of that even look like? I guess where one uh, where the Ukrainian government said, OK, see ya. Right. We'll honor your vote and let you leave. Uh, I mean, a more legitimate one would have been to have some third party like the U.N. come in and monitor the vote. And that way they could put their little seal of approval on it and say this was a legitimate vote. Uh, So because that's what they're saying in advance. But then they might get the outcome they don't want. I mean, if you brought in the U.N. and made sure the vote was legitimate, then they might vote the way you didn't want them to. And then everyone in the world would know for sure that they actually voted that way. Well, I think they probably still would have voted to join Russia. Oh, yeah. I I don't doubt that whatsoever. Their own power. There's some news out of the Russia-Ukraine conflict where we've been covering in recent weeks. There was uh, some referendums that were held in the eastern portion of Ukraine by the Donbass and then two areas south of What's that. What's a referendum? It's a vote. Okay. Uh, where people, uh, you know, some people went and they voted to join Russia, to essentially secede from Ukraine and join Russia. And that vote went through with flying colors in those areas. Of course, many are saying the vote was a sham. People in Ukraine, for instance, the Ukrainian government is not recognizing the vote. Uh, but the Russian government is. You know, they're saying, look, this is now ours. We're going to move in here. We're moving in our courts. We're moving in our bureaucrats. We're moving in our military. This is, this is now Russia. Oh. And people uh, are going to die, aren't they? Yes. Well, now to, to Russia's credit. More. Yes. Sorry, more, yes, people more people are, people are going yeah. to die. Yes. Uh, to Russia's credit, they are telling the residents of Kherson, which is one of the areas that voted to leave uh, Ukraine and join Russia, to leave. They're telling the people that live there to leave the city. And that's because they're expecting Ukrainian troops to wage a counteroffensive to recapture the area from the Russians, and they want to get the average people away from the conflict that they are expecting to have happen here. Uh, so they're giving people a heads up in a post on, this is according to the AP, in a post on Telegram. The pro-Kremlin regional administration strongly urged civilians to use boat crossings over a major river to move deeper into Russian-held territory, citing a tense situation on the front and the threat of shelling and alleged plans for terror attacks by Kiev, which has been going on in the Donbass region for some time. And now that Kherson is joining Russia, they're expecting the same sort of violence to be brought against the, the people of Kherson by the Ukrainian government. Uh, they've been in Russian hands since the early days of the nearly eight-month-long war, and the city is in the is the capital of a region of the same name, one of four that Russian President Vladimir Putin illegally annexed last month. Well, that's according to the Western governments. According to Putin, it's all entirely legal because they held a vote. And uh, what else? On Friday, Ukrainian forces bombarded Russian positions across the province, targeting pro-Kremlin forces resupply routes across the Dnieper River. And preparing for a final push to reclaim the city. Of course, what we- would a legal annexing look like? 
Because, I mean, I, I have only ever heard the term used, like, this empire has decided that this chunk of whatever is, is now theirs. Is. Yeah. What would a legal version of that even look like? I guess where one, uh, where the Ukrainian government said, okay, see ya. Right. We'll honor your vote and let you leave. Uh, I mean, a more legitimate one would have been to have some third party like the UN come in and monitor the vote. And that way they could put their little seal of approval on it and say, this was a legitimate vote. Uh, so, cause that's what they're saying in advance of the vote. But then they might get the outcome they don't want. I mean, if you brought in the UN and made sure the vote was legitimate, then they might vote the way you didn't want them to. And then everyone in the world would know for sure that they actually voted that way. Well, I think they probably still would have voted to join Russia. Oh, yeah. I I don't doubt that whatsoever. The Russian-installed officials were reported as trying to desperately turn Kherson City a prime objective for both sides because of its key industries and ports into a fortress while attempting to relocate tens of thousands of residents. The Kremlin poured as many as 2,000 draftees into the surrounding region to replenish losses and strengthen frontline units. According to the Ukrainian Army's general staff, the wide Dnieper River figures as a major factor in the fighting, making it hard for Russia to supply its troops defending the city and nearby areas on the West Bank after relentless Ukrainian strikes rendered the main crossings unusable. Uh, so they're going to trash their own city is mm. what they're going to do. Well, if you can't have it, or if I can't have it, no one can. This thing just <laughs> reminds me of like a schoolyard fight between mm-hmm. two, you know, five, six-year-old kids who are arguing over, uh, no, it's mine, no, yep. it's mine, no, it's mine, you can't have it, well, fine. And then they break it because they don't want the other guy That's to have it. That's what's happening. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Except Very it's people's so. lives and businesses. These are just giant temper tantrums yeah. by people who believe they have power. Taking control of Kherson has allowed Russia to resume fresh water supplies from the Dnieper to Crimea, which were cut by Ukraine after Moscow's annexation of the Black Sea Peninsula. A big hydroelectric power plant upstream from Kherson City is a key source of energy for the southern region. Ukraine and Russia accuse each other of trying to blow it up to flood the mostly flat region. Kherson's Kremlin-backed authorities previously announced plans to evacuate all Russia-appointed officials and as many as 60,000 civilians across the river in what a local leader said would be an organized gradual displacement. Another Russia-installed official estimated Saturday that around 25,000 people from across the region had made their way over the river in a telegram post. He claimed that the civilians were relocating willingly. Quote, people are actively moving because today the priority is life. We do not drag anyone anywhere. He said, adding that some residents could be waiting for the Ukrainian army to reclaim the city. Mm. So it's uh, it's getting ugly, uglier than it has uh, has already been. Well, this is what happens when two world powers decide to have their proxy war in your neighborhood. Yeah. Captain, you had a story we mentioned at the beginning of the show tonight about county employees and qualified immunity. And you said that only the police had qualified immunity. And I am shocked I did not think that was the case. I thought it was every government bureaucrat had well, immunity from uh, uh, you, their actions. You may be closer to being correct than you realize. Okay. Uh, what happens when a county employee acts like a police officer? This is from Reason.com. A highway engineer got qualified immunity for detaining drivers despite not being a cop. It's likely that a large chunk of people reading this have had the unenviable experience of being pulled over by a police officer for a traffic infraction. You know what you're supposed to do, but what are you supposed to do when a government employee who is not a police officer 
pulls you over, detains you for hours, and tries to perform a traffic stop despite having no authority to do so. Invoke the right of revolution. Oh, sorry. Just a New Hampshire thing. It is. We welcome your suggestions. <laughs> it's a 10. brainstorming session. You know, right. Feel free to just pipe in with whatever idea pops into your head. Uh, according to U.S. Court of Appeals for the Eighth Circuit, you are, in some circumstances, supposed to accept this. As if working as, say, a highway engineer confers the monopoly on power held by the state. If government has one thing, it has audacity. But that's the thing. It basically does. Because even though the, the state highway guy doesn't carry a gun, he still believes that he has so-called authority right. over you. State I, authority, not like expertise in a certain area. Yes, thanks for clarifying that. The magical, not something so legitimate. The, the magical uh, ty- type of authority that doesn't actually exist. It only exists in people's minds. Right. Uh, but the, but he is one of the people that believes it. And and this uh, this just attaches to every government bureaucrat because they all. So one of the things I noticed years ago is they all really seem to get off on telling you what to do, yeah. whether it be the bureaucrat behind the desk at you know the courthouse who's just ordering you to fill out form or A maid. or form B or the meter maid or whatever. Or uh, in one example that I I can remember specifically, I was in the Keene City Hall and this bureaucrat who's like the janitor. Just started telling one of my friends what he needed to do with a something or other. I don't know what it was, yeah. but you know, something petty, something stupid. He just started ordering my friend to do something. I was like, well, you don't have to do what this guy says, but the dude certainly, the janitor certainly wanted this person to. And the average person who doesn't think outside the box would absolutely have just done whatever the, the janitor told him to do. You just listened to the new extended Free Talk Live Daily Digest. We felt this format was more appropriate for our podcast audience and decided to make it our official podcast. If you subscribe to the Daily Digest or full episode RSS feeds, please resubscribe to the main FTL podcast feed, which you can find at feeds.freetalklive.com. The other feeds rely on a third-party service, and though they'll have the same content, we can't be sure how long they'll stay online. If you still want the entire radio show, you can listen live every night from 7 to 10 Eastern at freetalklive.com. Full video archives are at video.freetalklive.com or tune into our 24-7 stream for the latest show at listen.freetalklive.com. Free Talk Live's amps will continue to receive the full two-hour radio show with no recorded commercials via podcast through Patreon. So please join amps.freetalklive.com for just $5 a month. Thank you for listening to and sharing Free Talk Live.